Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Gridiron podcast. This is episode number five. I'm Stacey Spear. This is Mojo Sports. And once again, I'm joined by my amazing panel. I've got Beck, I've got Bliss, I've got Christy. And this week on the show, we are having some special guests on board to talk all things officiating. So we've got Pamela Tuft and Courtney Scarth. Welcome to the podcast, you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, first up tonight, ladies, I wanted to run an interesting question past you. What is a rule that gridiron should adopt from other sports? Now, I preface this with the play that happened in the NFL. It was Seahawks v. Rams. Seahawks were backed up into their own 20-yard line, and the Aussie punting legend himself, Michael Dixon, tries to get them out of trouble. Punt gets blocked, and the Aussie in him really, like, shine on this amazing scoop of the football, and he punts it again downfield for a 68-yard punt. Now, this play caused the internet to break a little bit, but there are definitely some aspects from other sports that could fit into our game to make it either a little bit more entertaining, a little bit safer. Guys, what are your thoughts here? What rules from other sports could Gridiron adopt to either make the game safer or more entertaining? Christy, what do you got? Well, I was coming from the uh, more entertaining because I, I know that um, Australian audiences perhaps aren't used to NFL uh, stop-start, um, the strategy behind it um, as audiences. So um, one of the things I was thinking is more so um, having a look at how we might be able to showcase a different format, even if it's for um, a shorter game. But um, you've got the cricket with their big bash um, versions um, or netball with their fast five, so where there's little to no huddle offense run so it's a lot faster and quicker um maybe have more timeouts to allow for because obviously we know that gridiron is very strategic and you need that um you need that time to really plan and uh adjust but yeah i was thinking something that might be a bit fast and quick to even as a showcase kind of format oh yeah i completely agree and when we're seeing so many sports now adapt to that uh to that kind of that different demographic whether that be a social version of the game or or changing the game to you know make it a little bit more entertaining that's definitely a good thing Beck what do you got yeah I'm kind of going to go with the theme of our guests this week and and talk about penalties in netball the the um, umpires they're not referees they're umpires they have the ability to give players warnings for persistent offenses like if they're constantly obstructing or constantly contacting they can give cautions and then send players off I think we could adapt that into gridiron in terms of you know a defensive lineman is constantly jumping offside or you know there's constantly holding from a DB or something like that where a referee can have the discretion to give them a warning and then if they feel like it's persistent they can send them off rather than it always having to be just on those personal foul penalties. Um, Well mine's not really a a rule from a different sport but I would like to see more for the entertainment value of adding a second forward throw how you officiate that, I'm not sure because would you put a yardage cut on it? But imagine like the defense wouldn't know what to do. So if you had an, an ability to throw the ball twice forward, that would be something entertaining to watch. So, Bliss, are you, ask, Bliss, are you <laughs> asking me to share the ball when I'm running it? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, that's great. That's really out of the box. <laughs> I like that. That's really interesting, actually. And, uh, you know, side note, you know what was actually interesting? And Christy, we've spoken about this before, is how touch football originally started with that forward pass back when touch footy was a you know, first around. And I just think that's so crazy. And I actually think there's some merit in that bliss. I really like that. And Pam and Court, you guys get the pick here. Which uh which rule would you add pick to add into the rule book? Um for me, I don't think I would necessarily go with the persistent penalties because we have enough, I feel like, already. And definitely in Australia, to be fair, a lot of that skill based. So, you know, that would probably slow down the game a little bit having you know, like I suppose administering the penalty versus a warning, but you know, I feel like a team's already getting it. So I do like the double forward pass because you kind of see teams really trying to get away with like a very sneaky back and a forward. So that kind of comes into rules application a bit. So yeah, I quite I quite like that one too from a game perspective. And I'm going to go with Christy. I like the no huddle thing. I run it when I try to coach and it's really good. Yeah, nice. And there you have it. Now, there's some interesting picks in there and, uh, you know, I'm keen to hear all you guys' thoughts out on social. What uh, what are the rules that you would potentially add to our sport to, uh, to make it a little bit more interesting, make it a little bit safer? All right, we're going to jump straight into all ball. Every franchise has had tons of great players and legendary personalities, but who stands out above the rest? football, let's go! It's what we dream to do. It's not just a man's game anymore. Doesn't matter how you separate us, we're still one big team, and that's for women's football. It is in our DNA, spiraling through double helixes. It courses through our veins. Through this blood, we are connected. Football is our family. All right, this is an all ball segment. And this is where we really want to focus in on the stories of the women in our community. And one aspect of the sport that really doesn't get nearly enough attention is officiating. So with Pam here, she's from WA, and I've got Courtney, she's from the Gridiron New South Wales competition. And they both come from a long time, well-respected families within the Gridiron community. Pam, I wanted to kick this off with you. Tell us about your officiating career and sort of how you got involved. Um. I started officiating in WA when the women's league kicked off here. So that was 2017, I think. So that was when I first stepped on field. But, yeah, my dad is an official in South Australia and has been for, like, I would say 30-odd years. Um, And so kind of I grew up with Britain watching my dad on the field. So the sport was really familiar to me. So when they kicked off the women's league, I think I had these flights of fancy that I would play and I <laughs> squashed that really quickly. So I was like, you know what? No. <laughs> and then they called out for officials. So that's sort of how I came to get involved in WA. So, so I got to White Hat my first game, I think it was 2019, uh, which I did at a women's game. So that was sort of my step into actually um, being that uh, chief official in the field. Um, but there's definitely been other women that came before me in other states. Um, the first in WA, which is really nice, and I'm, I'm proud of my position here. But, um, you know, we have a lot of other females that have kind of taken that before I did across Australia. But, yeah, nice for me here in WA. How have you found the players on the field welcoming you and having you on the sideline as an official? be as diplomatic as I can here but honestly I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag and so I think season one I did come across a bit of that whole and literally had it said to me on the sidelines like what is she even doing here I think that happens to quite a few officials but perhaps a little bit more to women because I think there's just this 
unspoken bias that we just know less about the sport. And I think anyone that's stepping on the field for the first time only knows so much. We have one of the most complex, I think, rule system in many sports. So um, that was a little bit tricky to overcome in the beginning. But I would say generally speaking, there's a good respect level for officials in WA. I don't have to deal with a lot of nonsense and I've been given quite a bit of support and encouragement and even to the point of like the socials highlighting, you know, me being the first white hat, that all came from the league. So I, I would say that there's been more good than there hasn't, but it's there's certainly been moments where you kind of got to take a breath and just trust yourself that, no, you know, I, I, I deserve to be on that sideline. I love that, Pam. That's awesome. Um, what's from your point of view, from an officiate's point of view, um, how different is the male and female game, do you think? Um, it's the, the women's game is definitely slower and, uh, in WA we play nine aside and I know that goes down to even seven aside in some other states, but yeah, I have the experience of the nine aside in WA and, you know, when they first kicked off, we had the running clock and they weren't doing kickoffs, which they have introduced in the last couple of years. Um, so I would say in terms of being an official on the field, it's a slower game to watch unfold in, you know, in, in most cases and, uh, in terms of attitude, I think it's a lot better on a female field. Like the women's league is is far more like uh, enthusiastic about being there. Like you don't really see too many people about you know having a really hard time about calls that were missed or you know being scored against. Like everyone's really happy to be there. The men's game is a lot more, um, I think, emotion driven. It's faster. You know, it's very intense. And, you know, when you've got more long-standing rivalries, which probably comes into play a little bit, that kind of plays out on the field a little bit more. Um, but in saying that, you know, there is that real thrill in doing, I think, a men's game for those reasons as an official that you're really on your toes. And, you know, there's a lot more to it with the clock management and all those kind of aspects too. Um, so I went to Canberra and I've done a few games down there and I also had the privilege to go over to Perth and do a couple of games with Pam as well. Um, pretty much just going to echo what Pam says. Obviously, it's a lot slower, um, but I kind of like that sometimes because it's good to kind of just take a breath and reset and enjoy officiating because you don't really get a lot of time to do that in the men's games just because it is so fast paced. Um but it's good as well with the women's that we can kind of train a lot of people in those areas because, once again, the emotions aren't so high and everyone's so supportive that it's, um, that it's good just to kind of introduce people that way as well. Yeah, totally. And, you know, many of us, you know, we've jumped on the sidelines as part of our club duties as officials over the years um, or we've been part of the chain gang. And personally, it really wasn't until I was required to do so as part of my duties that I thought about officiating it. And honestly, I, I kind of love it. Hey, like there's no like better view of the game. You can take that kind of time to scout if you're a player and it just helps you understand the game so much more. So um, I just, I have a weird question. We always talk about uh, NFL players that we follow or idolise. Do you guys as referees or officials have any referees that you want to emulate or idolise at all? Or is that just too weird a question? <laughs> I think it's a weird question. I think it goes without saying that we've probably seen, you know, women in those positions and then you think, wow, okay. And for me, it's more knowing that we have the IFAF um, World, you know, Women's World Cup as well as the men. So, like, in terms of our personal opportunities, I've 
seeing that there's women in Australia that have got to do that, but also that there's quite a few women in Europe that have those kind of more senior positions. But obviously seeing Sarah Thomas doing the Super Bowl was great. Like, and it was, it's more about visibility. So it was just sort of that kind of validation that it's like, yep, you know, that's something that you can strive to because it doesn't really matter that you're a female, but of course it, it's newsworthy because being a first is, is such a big deal and it took so long. So that's sort of my take on it. So for all our listeners out there, if they wanted to get started and become an official, what are the steps they need to do? What What's the first thing they should do in going forward and being able to become a referee? So um, most of the time it's people that are already involved in the sport, but we're kind of really fortunate in WA. We've seen some young people who I think are just really interested in, in gridiron and have put their hand up. So every state would have an organisation. So AGOA oversees all of Australia and then there's basically state branches, for want of a better word, um, that organise officials in every state. So reaching out to your league, they're always going to point you in the right direction. But we have the AGOA website that has, you know, contact links for each of those states. And the first thing is really just putting your hand up. Anyone can step on the field. But we also have an online training academy. So you get to go through all those kind of um progression steps from the beginning and up and they get more complicated as you go through. So we have level zero officials through to level four. And so the beginning is probably to reach out to your legal to say a GOA um, organization to basically just say, hey, I'm interested. There's not really any barrier to stepping on the field and starting. Yeah. And so you're the chairperson of a GOA right now, aren't you, Pam? Yeah, that's correct. I am. See now now that's that's first of all, it is so rare to see women like on representative boards at that higher level in the first place. But but to see someone who hasn't been around the sport for as like involved at the level that you are for as long as a majority of the men that are out there, like I just think that's so empowering. Well, yeah, firstly, thank you. And it was nice to sort of listen to your podcast the other week, which highlighted GW and kind of just pointed that out that, you know, women on those kind of, you know, administrative boards also have a say in how everything else happens. Um, And all I'll say is that there wasn't really any reason not to, but uh, being appointed chairperson was done by the rest of the board. So that was like a really nice tick of the box of validation for me because I had all these people that could see potential and also just that I had something to offer. It's as much a team effort. So um, it's nice for me, but I really just consider myself another one of a group of people trying to basically do what we can to improve officiating across Australia. Yeah. And Court, also you've had so many, you know, administrative roles um, through your football career. Like you've been on the Gridiron New South Wales board for years and years and years. I mean, from a governance perspective, like how, what, what, what are the other ways that we can get more women involved? And I know we, t- we touched on this in another episode, but I'd like to get a lot more opinions on this situation because I know both of you guys went through the women in sport mentorship program and I think it was a Sport Australia one PM that you might have gone through as well like like how was that to go through as a program because I was one of the first participants to go through that like years ago when it came out and I found it you know really really helpful just to have this support network of women around what sort of uh you know what did you get out of that program and, and how can more women you know find these sorts of programs to get involved with? Well, yeah, uh, personally, I loved the program that we were in. I have also been fortunate enough to be a part of a um, fast track coaching course as well for females. Um, And sitting in those classrooms and seeing all the other, as as the term I should use is girl bosses around, you actually kind of feel like, oh, hey, this is normal. Um, Because a lot of the time you sit 
on a Zoom now thanks to COVID, but, you know, in a boardroom and you would mainly be the only female there. So it was good to kind of hear other people what they do within their own sports and sort of what they do in terms of recruitment and things like that. Um, There are so many courses out there and Google is a great tool, um, but a lot of the time for these courses, you have to go through your state lead to get an endorsement. So the best thing is then what I did is make yourself known and say, hey, if you have courses like this, I want to do them. Um, Just to kind of tick just a little thing off on your resume and have that thing next to your name just gives you just that little bit more credibility. Um, because being on a board is so much fun, stressful, but fun. Um, and you learn a complete other different side of the sport and you're helping make decisions and getting other perspectives that other people just might not see because they haven't gone through some of your some of the similar things that you might have. Um, but yeah, it's great. And I'm so, so lucky that Goa was able to get us that um, that course because it was literally amazing. How do you mentor or um, how do you deal with or teach to deal with um, abuse and conflict on the ground, like on the field? Yeah, it's one because I think few schools are thought and from what I can gather, it varies across states too. And I think that dealing with that really needs to come from a high league position as well as officials and having an officiating organisation that has a no tolerance policy for that kind of thing. Um, It's also giving a new official the confidence to tell you that something like that was said because I've had a few experiences over the years where we hear about it later and you're like, oh, you should have dropped your flag or you should have just told your referee like and there would have been someone to back you or to say, oh, no, they can't say that. And I I think in WA I'm fortunate that we are very quite firm on that. We're lucky to have someone that leads officials that doesn't tolerate that. But, you know, I think from a perspective for a new official it's having um, experienced officials around them telling them what's okay and what's not from the get-go and giving them the confidence that if you're just not sure just talk to someone because there's no harm in throwing a flag and waving it off to have a discussion versus you you know you let something go and then you have coaches or players think that it's okay to to make comments that they really shouldn't be Um, And from a a perspective in Gridiron, New South Wales, what we try to do um, generally 100% for the first game and hopefully your second as well, we try to get shadow uh, officials with you. So the first game or first half in my instance, my first game, the first half I was standing behind an experienced official and listening to how they communicate with the coaches, how they see things and they kind of talk you through it. Then in the second half, you stand there and do it yourself and then they kind of go through it with you and that sort of gave me the confidence of okay well they're talking to coaches like this you know when things happen they respond this way and it kind of gave me a little bit of an insight that if something does happen that it's you know it's not okay but there is ways to deal with it because I've seen other people go through it. Pam and Colt the final takeaway here is how do you have as a player or a coach how do you have the best relationship with the with the officials like you know is there a certain courtesy like introducing yourself handshakes that kind of thing like like what's the best way to ensure that you have a good relationship on the field with you guys Um, As an official, I, especially when I work the sidelines, um, I love to go out to the sideline and, you know, shake the hand of my 
head coach and was like, you know, hey, coach, my name's Courtney. If you need anything during the game, please feel free to talk to me about things. Um, you know, obviously I'll speak to you and your captains. Um, it's a little bit hard in Gina Stubby when I've been around for so long and people tend to know me. I don't really have to do that anymore, but it's still good practice too. Um And then I think another thing of a great relationship is when a coach realises that in women in obviously Grenada, New South Wales, we have 14 people on the field at once and there tends to be five or six of us. So when they understand that obviously there's things that we are going to miss, we don't intentionally do it, that that has that good relationship because, you know, they'll tell us, hey, I need you to have a look at this and, you know, keep an eye on this but I know that you're busy and I know that you've got a lot of other things to look for instead of just screaming it at us. And we have that open communication is such a great way to build that relationship with us. I think that's pretty spot on. I think there's got to be a level of personability personability about it. You know, hi, I'm Pam. I'm going to watch your sideline today. Same. And when I do my coaches conference as a referee, like, you know, I talk to them about expectations, but my biggest thing is respect. Like, You know, we're all out there for a game that we love. And I think if we all come back to why you're even on the field that day and having respect for each other's like position on the field as a player, as a coach, as an official, that's what comes down to creating a really good environment for everybody involved because everyone wants to come back next week and, and enjoy it as well. So that's my biggest thing is just I'll show respect to coaches and expect it in return. And I think we just have to remember that we wouldn't have a game without you guys. So we do have to, you know, appreciate the fact that you are showing up and you are refereeing for us players because we wouldn't be able to play without it. So we do appreciate you. Anna, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more through some research that's kind of come out in regards to concussion. Now, from a safety perspective, our rules around this to mitigate potential risk of concussion, I like your targeting, your leading with the helmet, your horse collars, etc. And studies have kind of shown that women are more than twice as likely to have a sport-related concussion. And I have can put my hand up and say that I've had quite a few in my time. And the concussion side effects, are, you know, they're, they're different for women and they last longer. And you know, one of our football family lost her life last year to suicide. And it's kind of been discussed and noted that there were side effects of CTE, which we know is kind of one of the worst brain injuries that you can get. And you can't actually tell that you've got it until your brain gets examined. My question is, based on an article by uh, New Zealand Rugby, it's been circled around the gridiron community that potentially a rule change for the women's game that penalises contact with the head should kind of be reviewed and, and looked to put in place. I just wanted to know what your thoughts on how hard this would be to enforce and how do you think, if any, it would have a negative impact on the game? Pam, I'll start with you. I haven't really heard that research that there was a different impact for women, so that. That's definitely like a red flag, really interesting to hear about as well. From an enforcement point of view, trying to change those things, I think there's already like this really interesting phenomenon in gridiron where if you're the ball carrier, almost anything goes, you know, sort of, you know, targeting is one that, you know, we have. But I see it a little more in the women's league that people are a little more shocked, you know, when someone's grabbed around the neck and like taken down. Like if you're the ball carrier, protecting that head area is going to be a difficult thing to enforce in the game outside of the standard rules that we see to, you know, look after player safety because even like the blindside block coming in there's a, there is a lot more awareness about protecting people and giving them a chance to you know not incur those injuries but also protecting the tackler as you know with targeting so I just that's the thing for me that kind of was like 
gosh, how would we, how much would that change the game to protect the head area if you're talking about it from a safety perspective? Because that ball carrier is kind of like open to everything. Christy, you've got thought. Yeah, um, I think I would love to see people uh, go through their careers with um, uh, no injuries, let alone head any head injuries. And I've seen some um, some some concussions. I was there for yours, Stacey. Unfortunately, that was awful. Um, but I mean, one of one of the running jokes, um, and it's probably not a joke, is my helmet. My helmet looks messed up it is chipped it is hit it and it's one it's it's one of the best it's a speed flex it's one of the best helmets you can get and i just like a mercedes on your head (laughs) it's a pillow we're not not sponsored by riddell but if you were i mean damn come on (laughs) right and and i and i paid for it i paid their their expensive helmets and i paid for it because you know that's my head that's my brain i want i want the best protection but um and and that's just in a general game i and i couldn't tell you when those chips and hits happen um so it would be really difficult as a player too to uh try and limit that i mean i i've been playing for for a lot of years i've been playing for almost a decade so i you know as far as technique goes i know not to drop my head i know all of that sort of stuff um and and i would find it difficult to to adjust um when you are getting hit from from a number of directions as a ball carrier so i think it's a really really interesting but difficult difficult topic to address yeah, I 100% agree with Christy. It's one of those things where once you've started playing and that's the way that you play, it's hard to change. And as, like you said, as a running back, you, that's your intention. When someone's running at you, you drop your shoulders, you drop your helmet, like you want to make contact. And as a defensive player coming at you, you do the same. Like as a defensive player for me, I hit with my shoulder and my head. Like that's how I go into tackles. It'd be super hard to pull out of that. But as a referee, do you think that that's something we should look into court? Or do you think like, is it going to change the game? Is it going to slow us down? What do you think? What's your perspective? Um. That's a good question. Is it going to slow us down? Um, personally, if it means that we're sort of ruling CTE out of our sport, I don't really care if it's slower. Um, I think I also have my my coach's hat in the background that any time I see a player lying on the floor, even if he's grabbing his ankle, I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happened to his head? Um, so it's definitely, I think, something that we are slowly trying to rule out of our game, especially with you know targeting targeting calls being a lot more under the spotlight now. And obviously with things like the Adivis tackling course and things teaching us, you know, tackle with your head outside. Cause I remember back in the day that coaches used to be like, just your tip of your helmet, drive through the numbers. Um, and it's just, it can't happen. Like it needs to be ruled out of the sport, but obviously like every contact sport, there's still going to be the element of it, but it's now about trying to limit it to then the point where then hopefully later down the track it can be ruled completely out. We have the horse collar tackle, which, you know, it comes down to technique. So I guess, you know, a lot more injuries are happening because there's bad technique being taught. We're still getting so many head high tackles from the women's game in particular. Pam, is that something that you've kind of seen? Or, I mean, over in WA, I mean, your tackling technique over there is pretty good. Court, I reckon you probably have your fair share of seeing horrendous tackles um, across the way. What's your thoughts on, on, is it more of a technique and a coaching perspective that we can make the game a little bit more safer or does it need to come to an, an officiating refereeing standpoint? 
I think it's got to be collaborative, but I would definitely think that there's a big responsibility that comes onto a coach to teach technique. And I, I see that in juniors. And I'm not calling people out, but you know, you see those like 16-year-old guys and they're out there and they just think they're cool because they're playing, you know, gridiron. And it's like, you know, there's a big responsibility to teach them about technique in any form of tackling. Like, you know, the head stuff is really, really relevant. But I think in the women's league as well that there's a, a big drive to use what power you have. And so you kind of see women just, well, I'm just going to throw everything I have at this person. And you do see um, size disparity in all leagues, not just the women's league, but that's an element of it too. It's like, well, how am I going to take make this tackle happen? And so there seems to be more intent on the outcome than the process. So from a coaching point of view, I would say that. But the rules are there to then try and keep people safe. And I think the blindside block is a good example of how the rules have been put in place to make an impact on player safety because, you know, we talk a lot about it with the coaches here that that's a good example of how, a good little screen would stop a player just as much as like throwing them from the blind side. So that's that's a good example there about how rules can make an impact on the outcome. On the outcome, but I think I think this one is a, a very tricky one for an official to try and fully administer a rule that r- removes any contact to the head area in a contact sport. But once again, that little coach's hat in my back pocket, you, you can't run without legs. So I, I don't really see the point of, you know, tackling high. Um, it makes me almost cringe when I see defences just tackling high. Um, you At some point, you kind of need to go low. And I'm not saying tackle everyone around the ankles, but, you know, we teach people to sort of launch and go go low and wrap up. So I don't understand why there needs to be such high tackles. And yeah, I just think that it needs to leave the leave the sport. But um on par, like Pam said, it needs to be a collaborative thing with coaches and officials. Christy, as what Christy said, um, and like from an officiating perspective, like in the end, like we can make the game as safe as we could, but when you step over, I know the like your white line fever, you step onto the field and like your instincts just, you know, step in. Like I don't know if for our women's league, a lot of them go for the larger target, even though we've trained and trained, you know, go for the hips, you know, you know, keep hawk eye tack, hawk tackling so your 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 head's to cheek to cheek and all that type of stuff. But in the end, they're just gonna instinct and just grab them. I always got tackled around you know, my head or shoulders, but that's because I'm at someone's waist. So. I'm like, bliss, bliss, you're, you're this tiny. It's so hard. Like I, 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 I've tried to tackle you low, but I just, like, without putting my face right in the dirt, I just couldn't get you. You're only five foot. Yeah. yeah. So I understand from a certain point where we want to change rules to make it safer and um, we want to eliminate any type of concussion, but you can still get concussions from sling tackles. And a lot of girls do that. Like they grab your jersey and then they'll just sling and um, there's the whiplash of the head. So it, it is really hard. It's a hard, you know, point or rule to change to make it safer for everyone. You know, I, it's definitely a, an old school versus new school way of coaching that's coming through these days. And personally, you're exactly right. Like the game is becoming safer. But again, the overall issue here is that women are still calling out for more research to be done in this field. You know, the, the majority of this research is done for men, by men, and we know that women aren't the same as men. And therefore, there's there's some, like I said, there's some equity that needs to be required to truly understand how to prevent and monitor the impacts of these concussions and make our sport safer in the future. So, you know, all your opinions have been great 
And, uh, you know, I, I think more people need to start talking about this because the amount of, you know, girls that I've seen come off with concussions, I mean, you know, we've got first aid officers, concussion officers, things like that. But, you know, having officials out there keeping an eye out, like that makes me feel so much safer. And uh, so, yeah, guys, you know, we're coming to the end of the all ball segment and, you know, officiating one-on-one, get onto it get accredited, um, contribute to the officiating community. They're always looking for more officials. Uh, jump on the Ego website, get accredited, go to your state leagues, get accredited. Um, I mean, you guys are going to be at the field all day anyway. Get some experience and perspective on the game and uh, that you might not have had before. And so with that, I just want to throw the flag here to signal the end of our all-ball segment, and we're going to move straight into Rapid Fire. And we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is singing closing time. Maybe that's what you're doing. Tonight's Rapid Fire is all about those coach killers. And, I mean, nothing frustrates you more as a coach more than getting into really good field position and having it blown by something that's just plain stupid. Usually a mental blank, sometimes a lack of knowledge, but either way, there is always a penalty that you just go, come on, man, my bad, that was on me, sorry, coach. Christy, what's the penalty that you just continue to get called up on? Obviously, I'm a ball runner, so a lot of people block for me. So on the odd occasion that I get to block for someone, I get super excited to pay pay it back. So um, though the the penalty that uh, or the rule that people often get um, confused about is if I come in, I initiate that block front on, and the opposition player shows their back. Um, and then claim, you know, oh, push in the back, you know, sort of thing. And sometimes they've played it really well and the ref has just seen the end of that and they've gone, yes. But I'm like, no, this was my moment. <laughs> like it was a clean block. Ugh. Beck, what do you got? What's the penalty that you always get called up on? I mean, I've been pretty lucky. I'm not like hyping myself up, but playing quarterback for like the first however many years, quarterbacks don't get penalized. Like we don't get penalties. So only last year when I started playing defense and I honestly, I don't even think I copped any penalties. Like I'm I'm not big noting, but one that I do do that probably doesn't get seen a lot is a face cage. Like I can't help it when your hands hit that mask, you just want to grab it like unintentionally. You can't help it. It's like an instinct and you grab it and you pull and you try and let go once you realize that sometimes it's too late and yeah, hands get thrown, words get said, people are not happy about it. I have to go out and say that quarterbacks definitely do get penalties. I mean, it wasn't me. It was one of my other quarterbacks, but she got, she got done for unnecessary roughness. That stiff arm was too stiff. Too stiff. Too stiff. So, you know, there you go. So that's an interesting I mean, one. Okay. Bliss, what do you got? Um, mine would be false starting. So it's like I'm just like eager to go and I'm like, oh, I'm on my toes. And I'm like, damn it. And then that's right. That's, but not just me. It's even like we go on two and, yeah, we're, we're super excited. We want to go and we're like, good. And then it's No. Then it's back, and you're like, God, God. Yeah, especially in like a receiver stance, right? And you're like, okay, I've got all my weight on my front foot, I'm ready to go. And it's like, oh no. It peeps, and it's all because I don't want to put the quarterbacks in it, but I'm like, you, you've changed your cadence. That's that little bit. Typical. <laughs> you can't typical, blame typical the running back. It's on the ball. You go <laughs> on the ball, not on the quarterback. True. <laughs> Court, what's the, what's, the, what's the most common penalty? 
that is obviously the most avoidable? Um, probably false starts as well. Um, I have to say the one time that I just sat there and just put my head in my hands was I was actually coaching, not refing. And, um, I had, well, one of our receivers caught a ball and almost went a complete and a full length of the field for a touchdown. And on the two yard line, threw up the deuces as he was running in and got a flag front sports mic conduct and it got called back. And, uh, luckily we got the, the touchdown the next play, but literally just shook my head at it. If I can do one takeaway for people listening, about officiating it's probably exactly what we're talking about here for every rule there's actually like a guide for how to apply the rule and why sometimes you wouldn't apply the rule on the field and how like if you threw a flag for every time the rule was um happened on the field like the game would just not flow and so officiating does come down to a lot of philosophy and rules application as well as just knowing what the rules are it's also knowing when to call it and when not to call it and I think that's probably one of the biggest frustrations that players have like they've been holding me. And it's like, yeah, oh yeah, but the ball went that way, you know, just things like that. So I think people having a better understanding of the reasons why we do or don't make calls, it's not that we're missing everything. It's sometimes it's actually got to do with like a philosophy on how to apply it to the game so that you guys can keep playing without stoppages every like few minutes. So, yeah. All right, guys, that's it. That's it for this week. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. If you did, please download, download, download. Check us out on all the socials. We are on all platforms. Share this episode with family and friends. Next time you see someone from Team Zebra, give them a wave. And until next week, we'll see you guys then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.